Welcome to the first official episode of the Not Historians podcast. And as you might have guessed from the title, today's show is about Monopoly. But before we jump off in Monopoly, we want to reintroduce ourselves to those of you that may have not heard the first demo episode and explain what the show is about. So Shalom, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, okay. I'm Shalom Agalaba, the esteemed not a historian, or rather non-historian for those of you who are politically correct. As far as for what makes me qualify for this podcast, uh, the ultimate thing that makes me qualify for this podcast is that I love history, but I'm not a student of history. You're not a historian? I'm I, Exactly. I'm not a historian. That that makes sense. Have we explained why you are here? Uh, I'm Desmond. I'm the second host. I'm the creator of the show uh, in the spiritual sense. Uh, originally, I was just a guy who was writing a book set in the Civil War, and I got really too deep into the uh, history and the details of it because I was like, hey, this, they got to leave a train at this time, so what was the train schedule on this day in this year? What was the weather like? So I had to get into all of this and actually kind of like doing the research more than the writing. And there were a lot of little things along the way that I realized I wanted to know about. And then I realized there were a lot of things about today that I don't even know about, like everyday things, everyday people. Like we say these things, we have these uh, phrases, we have terms of endearment, all these different things. Why are the days of the week? The days of the week. Right. All these things. So I just kind of started doing that and I was going to make it a weekly series and then it was going to be a YouTube channel and it just kind of spun out of control and then it spun into control. So uh, I came up with this idea. I pitched it to my man Shalom here. And he said, yeah, let's uh, let's give it a shot. So we're here. And the way it works, for those of you who don't know, is we are two very loud gentlemen who don't know history very well. Right. We know what they taught in school. We passed all those. I have a BA in philosophy. He's a computer science guy. Hi, guys. So we did that. We're nerds in the traditional sense and in the truer sense of uh, we're podcasting next to a stack of comics and a shelf of video game consoles. So... Right. We met on academic decathlon in high school, so it's true. And some of us uh, still hold records to this day and different things. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. I hold uh, a few records in the in the academia range. Academia range. That's, I like how you tried to pump yourself up and then you fucked up, so you came <laughs> down. Um, also, we we, we curse in the show, so we'll try to keep that to a minimum, but it will happen. I will edit them out as best I can. So what we're going to do is we have two shows every month, every other week, and the first one is going to be a random topic that we pick out of a hat, and then the second one is going to be on a theme. Uh, we'll go ahead and give the theme out, I think this time, because it's the first season, the first episode. Uh, it's going to be gangsters, and it's mainly Depression Era and Prohibition Era gangsters, because that's the one I found most interesting. When I started writing this and when Shalom started doing his research, he agreed that that was it. Um, we have a bunch of them. Uh, if any of our information is wrong or out of date, except that we are not historians. Right. Thus the title. We are two gentlemen who go and look at online resources and sometimes books and have our own knowledge. And we occasionally take trips to places where people know it. We, we live in an area that has a couple of museums and a couple of colleges. So it's a little bit easier for us to get in touch with uh, people that have actual expertise in certain fields. So what we do, for the most part, what I do, at least in my method, is I Google, or Bing, because I like Bing Rewards. I use that $5 Amazon card. There's a little tip for you. And uh, yes, I do use Wikipedia. We use Wikipedia extensively for its sources. We don't go straight from the articles themselves. 
Sometimes I like the layout of the article, so I do use that same layout, but it's not just us reading Wikipedia articles. We also research uh, all kinds of things. What are, oh, yeah. You go to actual encyclopedias, mm-hmm. uh, interviews, online interviews, if I can find them, right. uh, lots of documentaries, resource books, and interviews. interviews, a lot of interviews, um, but also just general paper articles, right. uh, online articles. Anything that's been done before, we look at it. So we always try to collaborate what we're saying. Well, it's not always clear because a lot of this stuff is going to be older. And some of it is very, very old. It's ancient. And we're right. not going to know for certain that's what happened. So we're just we're just laying it out there up front. We are not historians. That's the name of the podcast. We do our research at the level that we can, that we have access to. And more than anything, this is an exercise to show people that, you know what? We're just two dudes that came up with an idea. Right. And we said we should know more about the everyday world around us. Like, why are beer bottles the shape they are? Why, you know, why? No, seriously. Like, I mean, it's true. It's it's a good point. And it's it, a it's a good exercise in learning what's out there and understanding the world around you. Right. And we're just trying to find out, like, where did the lighter come from? Like, we just want to know, like, what's the history between these things we use every day? Because hidden in there, there's a lot of people that don't get credit. There's a lot of stories that don't get told. And there's a lot of knowledge to be gained. And uh, we're not educators. You you might get educated listening to this, but that is not this is this is more entertainment value. We'll put it that way. And if you ever hear us say anything that you know is wrong or you believe is wrong, feel free to tell people we are wrong. We are wrong very often, and we are not shy about it. This is all an exercise in our ability to research, not in our ability to become experts or historians. At the end of this, we should have talked about I don't know a hundred different topics and still not be historians. Or we'll have to get a new topic. Or experts. Or experts. No, I'm not an expert in any field whatsoever. Uh, I have no competencies. Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, office management and finance. I, I do that for a living. So I have I have a couple of years of experience of, you know, doing that a decade or so. But that's uh, that's besides the point, I think. Is your this. boss listening to this podcast? Uh, hopefully everyone in the world. Will. I'm, I'm looking to get to about uh, 7 billion subscribers, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's my target goal. Not really. But if you're listening to this and you like what you hear, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, probably Podbean, Google Play. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can look up Not Historians or at Not Historians. And you'll find us. Please share this if you hear it because this is our first show. We really want to get the word out there. And um, if there's a rating system on whatever you're listening to this, you know, drop it and be honest. We don't care. Five stars would be awesome. Three stars would be less awesome, but also honest, probably. Right, and it's a benchmark on where we can go. Right. So, anyway, now that we've introduced ourselves, I think we'll introduce the topic. You want to go ahead and uh, just tell people what the topic is and what we're going to cover? <clears throat> well, you know, yeah, sure. The topic today is Monopoly. The board game. The board game. The board game. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, does say it all, but it doesn't say it all at the same time. Because what comes to mind or what came to mind to me when I heard about Monopoly was, you know, uh, especially the board game, was what are the rules and when did the rules to the game change? But not so much where did the game come from itself. Right. And that, that's that's what we're talking about is the origin of Monopoly mainly and the, the I guess the development, the evolution of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much the modern day. I don't really care about that. I don't. I, that was not something I know my childhood Monopoly. I know what the boxes look like and how they change and adding pieces and taking pieces away and electronic debit cards. We all know that. I think most of us that are listening to this grew up with the 
a certain version of the game that was pretty right. standard. We had different rules, I'm sure, house rules. But we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't grow up with the original uh, Landlord's game, which is how the game started. Right. So it's, it was an interesting exercise because I just took it that, okay, some guys in a room went and designed a game and then marketed the game and they made money. Like that, like there was a test audience and people were like, hey, yo, son, you want to play this game? It's all about making money. And somebody else was like, I love making money. So they start making money, paper money, fake money. Was I there? <laughs> it might have been right. Uh, making money. So anyway, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, really going to focus on like three or four sections of the game, which is the origination of the game as we found it. Then what the change was between that original version and the marketed version, and then some of the history after it. Now, um, before we start, I want to give a big shout out to Mary Pylon. Uh, she didn't talk with us. I didn't talk with her, but she's done extensive work and research on this, and it would not be possible for us to find out. In fact, it wouldn't be possible for a lot of people to find out about the history of Monopoly if it weren't for her. And uh, Ralph Anspatch? Anspatch. Anspatch. Uh who was a professor who invented an anti-monopoly game back in the day. And uh, they did a lot of research and all this history came out in the court proceedings. So without all that, it would have been really difficult for us to to do anything about this because the story that you've been told or that you've read online maybe or found in a book or was in the actual box when you got the game is not the true story of Monopoly. So that's it. That's uh, that's that's really the, what the episode is going to be about. Now, you said that when you heard about it, you thought that it was going to be about the rules and the pieces. Oh, yeah. Now, what do you know about Monopoly? When did you when did you first meet Monopoly, I guess? So Monopoly and I first met on a date back, I would say, 1990. And uh, it was it was back before the the change in the pieces. Yeah. So we still had the, the original car, the thimble. And it was a game that my parents brought to me to teach me how to how to be better with money, how to understand the concept of you buy property with money and you have to make sure that you keep track of your money. And if you don't have enough money, then you can't play the game. And if you land on some rent properties, well, this is how life works. So, I mean, a lot of life lessons learned in Monopoly, uh, especially around our table. Really? See, I don't know where I met Monopoly. I know that, I mean, I think like a lot of people listening to this, I just played it one day, and I don't have a special remembrance of when it was. It's just part of American culture. Like, you play Monopoly with your friends, with your family, with whoever. So I'm sure somebody busted out a board game and said, this is Monopoly, and this is how you play it. And so, I mean, I know i played it probably a thousand times since then. Sure. Uh, but I think you also reach an age where you realize the frustration of Monopoly I is not agree. worth it. And also, then you reach an age where you realize you're playing it wrong. <laughs> And you're like, I have to learn a whole new game. I'm not doing that. Well, I mean, I, I think when you, you, you touched on a good point when you said you, when you're playing it wrong. One, the, everybody comes up with house rules now for Monopoly. Parker Brothers, they include rules, but I'll be real honest. You pay your 20 bucks, you play the game however. They don't care. <laughs> I mean, there's tournaments and stuff. There's actual Monopoly World Championships. I did see that when I was researching this topic, that there were there are some tournaments. And I thought to myself, maybe I should join one because I'm an avid Monopoly player. And you're a monopolist. I'm, I'm a Monopoly player. Monopolist. Although that title does sound very very intriguing, I think I You should get business cards. I mean, I should get business cards. Huh? So, I don't know. I don't... I You know, and I'm not really the guy for the rules. Now, you are. Like you were saying, you know... You correct us all the time when we used to try and play. Like, we try to play board games. In Shalom, we play Trivial Pursuit. Uh, we play this. What else? We play Sorry. I mean, we played everything. It was like a board game back in the day. 
Mm-hmm. We were all hanging out in high school and uh, playing trivia and stuff. And Shalom was there, the guy that's like, no, I read the rule book last night because we were going to play. And uh, no, that's <laughs> not what you do. You lose a turn, actually. So playing with this guy, I, I can see you playing at a competitive level, maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you play. I see you losing, but I can see <laughs> I see you playing. <laughs> I mean, there's also prize money in these tournaments. I mean, a lot of prize is there money. is there five thousand whole dollars to be the world champion? I don't know. It's probably not. It's probably like five million. I don't I mean, know. It's a lot of money. Um, and then also, you know, there's a copy of the game that you're awarded after you win. Like, does it have your name and like your house items like in the kitchen? I, I don't feel like it has your house items. I feel in like your they kitchen. should do that though. But that is a definite. Or you should become piece. the new Monopoly piece, or at least Mister Monopoly. Like, I, you know, my that's my nickname is Mister Monopoly. Monopoly. Maybe that's a better. Name. Maybe that's it. A monopolist is your job description, but your card says Shalom Rabbullah, Mr. Monopoly. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, I guess we can kind of jump into the subject. Let's do this. I didn't know anything about the history of Monopoly. I'll be honest. I didn't even know the fake story of the history of Monopoly. Uh-huh. Like I said, I thought that it was a bunch of guys at Parker Brothers, maybe even the Parker Brothers, like sitting in a room going, okay, we need to come up with a new game. Everyone's heard of chess. Let's do this. Yeah. And then they figured it out and... Paid people to play it and watched them through a two, you know, two way mirror, and they were like, "These people don't know what the hell they're doing. This is great. They're just getting angry at each other, and then they throw the board and they lose the pieces. That to buy a whole new set." So you're so you thought that they they created this frustrating game just so that people can uh, get angry and buy a new set? Uh, no. So so um, I guess where the story starts is with uh, with Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth and Maggie, Maggie, and Maggie. Maggie. Right. It's spelt Maggie, but it's pronounced differently, guys. And we're from Texas, so uh, we didn't. We're not originally Texan. So Shalom has a nice Georgian Nigerian uh, Texas blend, and I have a Montana Canadian Texas blend. So uh, now we sound like whiskey or cigarettes. I'm not sure. Yeah, what we sound like. I don't know. But a little bit of both. Either ways, we're fine enough for me. So Elizabeth uh, was a Georgian. Which is Henry George, I think was the name of the guy that's named after. He was a guy that had these uh, leftist leanings and was anti-industrialist. Like, right. Uh, well, more capitalist. The idea was that land tax, that's how you redistribute wealth. Was you take this land tax and it will affect, of course, the richest because they own the most land. Boom. So if you do this, it's a fair system and you can redistribute and pay for everyone. And this was the idea. So... She was hardcore into this. She was like, yeah, this is, I believe this. Right. I'm going to make a game so I can teach people values. Because she was an educator of sorts. Sure. So she came up with this idea and she made a game that's not entirely dissimilar from Monopoly itself. It looked a little bit different, but it functioned mostly the same. Um, there was The cards were a little bit different. They had quotes on them and stuff. But you still had uh, the basic mechanics of the game were there. Right. And, of course, this is the root of Monopoly. Like, no one... If you look at it, it's so close that you can't deny this is where Monopoly came from. I mean, true. The concepts are closely, this, uh, closely related. Especially especially from the games when you, when you do make the comparison from board to board and from the notes on the, on the board or the, the places on the board... So it's it's interesting that the the game did take a, t- a turn, but at its beginning, yes, that's um, this is definitely the origin of Monopoly. And it wasn't called Monopoly at first. It was not. It was called the Landlord's Game, right. and that was about 1903. And she she again made this to you know show what land monopolies do to people, how land taxes would work. It was really interesting. So she patented it. It was it was that good of an idea that she was like, I'm going to get a patent on this shit. Yeah. So in 1904, she patents it, and she's like, you know what? I can publish this. 
I think this is a thing. I think uh, Monopoly could work. And she's not wrong. I mean, we all know Monopoly. So in, I think, 1906, she went and got with the Economic Game Company, and they published it. And it kind of worked. I mean, obviously not, because you're not playing. The, the title of the episode is not The Landlord's Game. Right. So what she went to Parker Brothers originally, and she was like, hey, Parker Brothers, buy my game. And they said no. They said no. They said it's, it's too complicated, and uh, it's made by a woman. Uh, you can't vote. You obviously can't make board games. I mean, because that's logic, right? That's logic. That's yeah. what I think happened. That's not. I. I that's not a direct quote from uh, any of the Parker brothers, by the way. That's me inferring. Uh, they just went in. Now, what's interesting is that they did manage to publish a version in Scotland. She got someone in Scotland to go. We're kind of interested in this game. Let me let me see what we can do. And you know what that game was called? No, what was it called? Brer Fox and Brer Rabbit. By the Newbie Game Company. Yeah, go ahead. Shalom is is stuttered here, by the way. Because there's nothing to say to that except for, you know, Song of the South. And how, like, where did the title come from? I mean, you you go from the Landlord's Game to Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit. Like, where's the correlation there? I don't understand. I, I guess it has to do with the story. Like, one's a winner, one's a loser. There's nothing that I can say. That explains the 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 undertone that you have for it now, though I feel is modern. Uh, <laughs> it, to say it, the least, okay. it's very zippity doo dog. I got you. Right. Uh, Uncle Remus did not sell the game, as far as I know. That was a missed opportunity in marketing. So, so maybe, but but it still doesn't really explain how that story correlates to. An anti, or rather, to a an anti monopoly type game, or uh, the landlord's game that we're talking about currently. You know, it doesn't really it doesn't really lend itself to that, as far as a, from an explanation perspective. Well, you know, I didn't find a lot of information about the Scottish game. Mm-hmm. I found a few references to it. They're from different sources. I'm sticking it in because I thought it was interesting. Because she did manage to get it published. Right. So it wasn't a horrible idea. Somebody else bought in, and obviously, people were buying in. You don't patent something just because you're like. This could be huge. I mean, some people do, but not somebody that has this kind of philosophy about economics and stuff. Man, like, she's not just throwing money around. She doesn't think that's the answer. So she's not, I'm going to patent everything. I'm Thomas Alva Edison. That's what he did. Steal things and patent. Buy patents once he got rich. See, that's how it works. Like I said, that's how it works. Um, So anyway, yeah, she tried to market it, and it didn't really work. So... It kind of lingers around, and it's inversions, because um, it was it was a real at the time. Uh, Georgian philosophy was a real thing, so they went and they taught it in universities and stuff, and it kind of caught on there. Mm-hmm. These college kids, these college professors in the East, were like, you know what? This is we got to teach people about this. This game does that. Let's go ahead and do it. So they used the game, and it kind of spread around colleges, but it was never really hugely. It's not monopoly. Right. It wasn't as huge as this. Um, so what ends up happening is her patent expires. So she goes back and she gets another patent. She right. makes some changes, updates it to a really more modern version, really what you expect with the rectangular idea and the spots and like free parking and jail and everything and the rolling doubles. It all comes out of there in 1924 when she gets a new patent. So um, it's kind of an interesting deal because then she goes back and goes, hey, Parker Brothers. You want to you wanna buy this game, maybe? And they're like, no, 
We don't. Yeah, still, still no. Still too complicated. No one understands it. We don't need all this hippie bullshit. In the meantime, around the start of the Great Depression, like 1932. Right. So anyway, the Ad Game Company, I'm pronouncing it that way. I don't know if it, it's AD Game Company. The Ad Game Company uh, published it again. They published it, I think, as the Landlord's Game, but also as uh, Prosperity. Prosperity. Right. Prosperity. Now... Do you like the name Prosperity? I do. It sounds like it's a lot more, it's easier to buy into because, you know, the, the land of milk and honey, the, the land of opportunity. I'm playing this game that incites all these, uh, or it, it invokes all these emotions, these feelings. So, yeah, I absolutely like the game title Prosperity. Really? I, th- I think Prosperity, or Prosperous, if one was prosperous, sounds better than being a monopolist. I agree with you, but I am also Mr. Monopoly, so... <laughs> um, I, I think it's really, really interesting though that like the, the, the game has so many names, right? Especially in this version between when um, Maggie makes it and it becomes an actual game for Parker Brothers, and there's a lot of names that float around. So you can find it under a bunch of names, especially nice. if you go look at like old boards. There's a bunch of different boards that are basically the same. They have minute little changes. The places change a lot at the beginning. That's right. an interesting thing. Um, did, did you know about that? I, I did notice that the the places changed. Like it was it, the Monopoly we know or we grew to know mostly the was like an Atlantic City type situation. Right. It comes from Atlantic City, but the people when they were making these own home boards, so that's what a lot of people did. Like the college students would play the game, they would go home, they would name the places after places that exist, like the streets after places that were around their hometown or where they were from or a city they liked. So it's really interesting. Now, we carry that over today in a lot of international versions. Right. Okay. Which makes sense. But now, let's can we pause for a second to kind of talk about how how interesting an idea it was to take this this board game and take it on a college level to to these universities and say, university students, we want to teach you this concept, this this Georgian's uh, this Georgian um, philosophy and we want to teach it to you, and we're going to teach it to you with this game. So it almost is is the beginning of games being able to teach people life lessons. I mean, I mean maybe I don't I don't know. I mean, that's what I mean. Chess, like to me. you know, teaches you to think ahead, and then, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't know about educational games like uh, what is what's the word that they use? Uh, oh, okay, educational. Yeah, so it's kind of like educational games. I don't it's know. kind of the start of you know edutainment. So I um maybe I don't know when that started. I don't know if the Romans had like games that they would use to teach people. It seems like a natural progression for me because kids play with toys, so you introduce learning toys and it's a nice bridge between being a kid and being a functional member of society with knowledge and stuff like that's what I mean, do you remember you used to play like Oregon Trail and it taught right. you about the Oregon Trail? Like that's probably really the only reason like a lot of us in our thirties know about uh dysentery. Right. So true. We I, I, died of dysentery a thousand times. Uh, right. Never made it across. Never or the, made it. the number munchers. Like, you learned a lot of math from number munchers, I'm sure. Everyone Absolutely. did. Um, typing. All the typing games. Like, I think there's, um, it's definitely a thing now. But yeah, you're right. It's interesting to see that it goes that far back and that it was in colleges. Like, think about that. Imagine having a college class, and some people do. They, I've been in a class actually where, we did this, but it was a different version of the game where, like, they changed a lot of aspects of it, but we used a Monopoly board. But having Monopoly board and being like, this is how this works. See, and that, but I think that's a teachable moment. All right. Well, obviously, I mean, that's, that's the point. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
But I, I think it's great, though, that we can take something that was meant as just fun and entertainment. No, it was meant and, as an educational game. That's why she built it. Right. But what I'm saying is we look at it on the oh, surface. The you're, you're selling it as an entertainment device, but it's also entertainment and learning at the same time. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's true. I think it's interesting that it, it's that way because, you know, um, I feel that way about risk a lot. Risk is like that. I don't know. It's um, Monopoly, you know, it, it went on a weird tangent like that. It started as an educational tool, then became a board game, and then kind of is back an educational tool, I guess. Right. And I say that because, like I said, I know lots of kids that do play Monopoly like in classrooms. I'm sure a lot of people listening maybe played it at school because it teaches you about money. Right. Teaches you about land development, too. Well, yeah, I can see I mean, that. I guess if you need that lesson, uh, some of us aren't of that level of like, okay, kids, today you're going to learn how to diversify your stocks and bonds and also, while carrying a balance portfolio, perform house flipping. Like, I want to go to that private school, bro. I, I'm you, why not? No. Uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle it. My, no. brain, my brain would break. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, home ownership is enough of it. Home ownership teaches you that stuff, too. <laughs> Monopoly teaches you you only want to own one home at a time. That's or, right. Or enough that you, as much as you can afford at a time. That's right. That because money. the land taxes do come up. <laughs> and that's all out of your pocket. And now, I'll tell you, when the land taxes come around, guys, if you don't have it, you sit in there like the, the, the broke chance car with like a Parkinson's inside out. Right, down, down at the tax assessor office, like, look at me. Huh? I don't have no money. <laughs> They're gonna treat you like Wesley Snipes. Oh God, I hope not. I don't want to have to make Blade Three. Um, so now that we've gone totally off the track, which will happen a lot. So if you didn't like that little uh, bit right there, it's okay to tune out. It's okay. We don't mind. This show is for people who want it and for us. So the next big part of the story is Quakers. But now, do you know anything about Quakers? I mean, I know I like Quaker oatmeal. That's right. Did you know Richard Nixon was raised a Quaker? Uh, no, I didn't know that any president of the United States could survive as a Quaker. Um, well, you know, Nixon survived a lot of things. I think I don't know. Uh, he was in, he was in the Navy. I think I don't. I'm now I'm going to stop talking because I don't know about Nixon like that. Uh, well, neither do I. But I do know that um, Quakers live kind of like an Amish type lifestyle. I mean, they're comparable. Um, no, no, they're modern people. I mean, obviously, you know, he rode in like Air Force One and stuff. He didn't have like a cart force two or anything that he was like riding around in a drawn carriage with a little placard on the back. So, you know, that they're, I mean, I feel like you weren't there, so you don't know. But at the same time, I do agree with you that, yeah, that you're right. They're, they're more modern. They, they, it's more about being pious. I think, um, from what I remember in my comparative religions class, there was a brief part about Quaker. So, What's interesting is they introduce a lot of the modern changes that we see that take this from a late 19th century educational tool to more of an in-home early American, early modern uh, American idea, which is the setting. They kind of go with Atlantic City. The Quakers were fond of Atlantic City, so they made it Atlantic City. Um, They also got rid of auctions a lot of the time uh, because originally... In the game, from my understanding of it, because I watched a little bit of the gameplay on how it worked to kind of get a sense for some guys that were historians that were playing it. And the thing is, uh, you auction everything. Right. There's no prices. You don't, like, you land on a spot, you don't get to just go, okay, I'll pay the $250, I will buy this property. 
it would immediately go up for auction for every player on the board. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's that's a good point because the game, and that's kind of similar to the game now, is where the anytime you land on a property, the way it's supposed to be played based on the rules is anytime you land on a property, you you do have the option to buy it, but the the thing that has carried through is the auction piece. So let's say that I don't have the money to buy this property and I, I'm not interested in buying this property. Well, we then auction the property. The property immediately goes up for auction. Right. And so the lesson there is, you know, if you can't get it for the, if you can't pay the price that's on the ticket or on the, on the, on the, on the spot, you certainly can pay for the price or maybe you can afford the auction price because the auction is open to everyone, all, or rather all players. So that, I thought that was an interesting, piece when I when we, when I read through this to see that the auction piece was taken out at this game uh, or at this point in the game the as we're going to coin it the birth of monopoly that's right and you you know what it has to go back to the Quaker way of thinking it's really rooted in, in Quakerism like they were like yo this is too loud too rambunctious it's just a game it's meant for fun but also for education and we're simple people no more yelling and screaming the kids are carrying on too much now, quiet now, inside voices. And so they put fixed prices on the board, and they were like, you could pay that or you cannot. And people were like, okay, I'll pay that. And they were like, this works much better. Right, because it's less, you're right. It takes out the the uh, rambunctiousness of it. You're right. It does take that out. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there's also some bad blood because, I mean, for me, the auction piece is important when we play. I do require the auction in my gameplay just because it speeds up the game so much. It like, does. Not to, and also the hotels. That We'll get to that. The hotels are actually another Quaker introduction. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Do you? What do you know about the hotels? Because I know you, Mister Monopoly. <laughs> well, so I know that to get a hotel, you have to have four houses. One, you have to have the entire the entire color set. That's right. Of the of the board for each uh, each property, and then afterwards you have to put four houses on um, one location, and then you can turn that location into uh, into a hotel. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the, I mean, I guess that's the basics of it. But the hotel, if the rent increases on the property every time that you, you add a house and when you add a hotel. That's right. Now, did you know there's a fixed number of these items in the set? Yes. So, whenever you use like a penny or, or whatever, you another thimble or another piece to be like, this is my hotel, because we had a hotel, mm-hmm. don't do that. Really? That, that's part of the gameplay is there's only so much materials. You can only develop as much as in the game. You're not supposed to add extra, go to the old board and grab pieces and put them in. You just use what's there. And I always thought the goal, the concept of the goal or the game was to have all the property you could, but then also get your uh, get hotels on all the, the color sets that you own. So that's how I would play the game and would bankrupt the other players as they were. Well, you do want to ban. I mean, the, the, the object of Monopoly is, of course, to get all the money, to have a Monopoly. Right. And usually I don't have any problem with that. You no, know, it's however you do it. It's fine. Like, um, you know, there's there's a lot of strategy. While researching this, I ran across a ton of videos and a ton of articles that I had to skip over that were about strategy and gameplay and stuff. And it's really interesting. There's a lot that goes into it as far as how, how you want to buy land, like when you want to buy, mm-hmm. when you want to develop, and then when you, how you want to market and mortgage things the right way. It's It's a science at the highest level, like when they get to it, like... I mean, there's just, they have so much going on that you can't even, it's not even the same game. Wow. Like, what we play and what they play is like a totally different game because they're like, it's like chess. Like, they're just like, let's go. 
So that that's an interesting. And the Quakers also not just did hotels. A lot of the rules. Right. The rules were different from the the original landlord's game into this game. But yeah, so that's true. I did know that. They they did that because of the again the rowdiness and the, the, the pious living and stuff. They were like, hey, let's just make it a little bit calmer, make it a little bit faster, make it a little bit every they streamlined it a lot. Right. They did the research and development. Um so it was interesting. You know, they believed in the philosophy, of course, that was they shared ideas similar ideas, so that's why whenever they saw this Georgian game, they were like, you know what? This could be a Quaker thing. And, and, it, and it, it was. And it's also at this time, you know what name they used a lot? No, what name? Monopoly. Oh, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> I like that voice. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that's a good name to go with. I mean. No, it, I mean, that is the game. So, yeah. And it was anti-monopolist. So they were like, well, if you're going to be anti, but the goal is to teach people, you, aren't you in fact making a monopoly? Yes. And then someone was like, yes, it's a monopoly. And they were like, you know what we should name this game? Monopoly. monopoly. So they did. And then we get to the, the, that's the muddy part. Like, what happens between Elizabeth's game going kind of bust and the Quakers taking it over and keeping it alive and going? Uh, she was still, you know, working it and trying to get it to be a thing. But they really were the ones playing it and using it and making these homemade boards and adding names and rules and fixing it, making it more playable for the, the masses. So they did that. And then entered a man who would forever change the face of Monopoly. Do you know who that man was? Uh, that man was Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin. And he um, went and played a game of Monopoly with some friends. He was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. The depression set in, see? And they were like, I don't know. Charles, what are we going to do? Yeah, I'm going to go over to my friend Charles Todd's, and he's going to teach me and my wife this game here, see? Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah that's right. And then they were they played the game, and he was like, well, this is just a bee's knees. This is a swell game you got here, Charles. I figure that's exactly how he said it, too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to use this voice for him because he's kind of a dick, so I'm going to use a dick voice. Um, so anyway, he gets introduced to the game, and he's like, man, hey, Charles, can you do me a favor, old pal? Why don't you run over there and uh, write me up all the rules and stuff for this here game? See, I want to play it with my friends. And he was like, yeah, I can do that for you. So he goes, he makes, uh, he gets with the other guy that introduced him to it, and he played with him. He's like, hey, we got to write all the rules down and stuff because Charles will loosen the head so you know well you know we gotta help him. I mean you know so he wants to write him down he's like I'm gonna keep a copy you get a copy we do and this is actually where um the misspelling Marvin's Gardens come. you know that did not know that Marvin's Gardens that. how do you spell Marvin's Gardens do you know Mar yeah. the Marvin part um M-A-R-V-I-N that's right but the real Marvin's Gardens is spelled with an E really yeah huh. let's place the I not the E or not the A so anyway I mean, it would be Marvin if it was in the place of the yeah, but you never know. I mean, I mean this guy's he, voice. You never know what he's saying. Yeah, see? Yeah. And then, anyway, he got the game, and he was like, well, the Depression's here, and my family's got to eat. We're going to make these games on oil skin. So he made a circular board game. That's what I'm told. I've actually seen rectangular ones. Right. But I'm told his original one was circular, and I saw images of it, and I think PBS told me this. So I'm going with it. They had a lot of sources on it. Um so yeah, circular game, and you moved around it again. Just instead of moving around a box, you moved around a circle. A circle, okay. Um, and of course, there's the cards and everything, and the dice are the same. And you got yeah, I had little color tokens and stuff that you use for characters. And he was like, "I'm gonna go to Parker Brothers. I'm gonna sell this to Parker Brothers." So Parker Brothers sits down and they 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 look at the game and they go, "We've we've seen something like this before. This is better, but oh, it still sucks." Yeah. 
Sucks, but it's better. And you know what happened? What happened? Parker Brothers was like, I think we can make a thing. I think we can make a thing of this. But maybe not his. We'll, we'll buy his. But maybe we make our own. So um, Charles Darrow, being a lying asshole, went and was like, yeah, I invented this game. And they were like, sounds legit to me. Um, would you like to maybe sell it to us? Yeah, I can do that. Okay. So he sold it to him. So, so then what happened to Elizabeth Maggie? I mean, is this the point in time where she disappears from the history of this? No, she doesn't really disappear here because uh, there's an interesting point that will come up here in a second. Um, anyway, he's like, I should get a copyright. It's 1933. I'm going to go down to the patent office and I'm going to get a patent on it. So he goes down and uh, he gets, you know, he gets a copyright on his version of the game. I don't think he could get a patent because the patent already existed and was still valid. And the patent office was probably like, mm, no, 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 no. And he was selling it in uh, Philly, in West Philadelphia. Born and raised. Oh, born and raised. He, oh, born and raised. He made the boards and then he raised the price on them. <laughs> so then he tells them, yep, yeah, I made it. Sign this contract. It's mine. Give me some money. And they said, all right. So they sold it. And you know what happened? Um, hopefully, Elizabeth Maggie caught on to this. No. No. Uh, when they first made it, it was it was really popular. Like blew up like hundreds of thousands of games. Yeah. Like, and they're going. Charles Darwin. You know what happened in the middle of the goddamn Great Depression? No, what happened in the yeah. middle of the Great Depression? He became the first game designer millionaire. Isn't that crazy? It's yeah, a crazy concept. What's even crazier is that people were paying millions of dollars in the Great Depression <laughs> for, for the game for the game. Yeah, and he was like, oh. Making money now. I don't know. I don't have to tell anybody the truth. I'm just keeping all this money. And he did. He screwed my duck. Like, he was like, yep, diving his pit of gold and everything. Wow. Which he probably shouldn't do because gold is solid and it does not give. So that's like diving into the concrete. Anyway. <laughs> um, so. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay because Parker Brothers and Daryl, they, they invented a lot of things in the gaming industry, as you can yeah, tell. They invented other games, too. Uh, but no. No, no, that's my whole point. They invented they invented a lot of things, like stealing other people's work, which is, you know, great to today. People still do. And then they did something that probably would have made them like the EA of today. Uh, they went back and they found this game. Bulls and Bears. Bulls and Bears. They made this game, uh, <clears throat> another finance game. Okay. And it was Bulls and Bears, obviously a referenced stock market. Right. And he had nothing to do with this goddamn game at all. He didn't even steal this game. But you know what he was? What was it? The first game designer millionaire in the middle of the goddamn Great Depression. Uh, okay. So you know what they did? Use his image to make more money. They stuck his face and his name on the goddamn box. Like, in tiny little letters, it's like, this game is approved by and played by game designer Charles Dog. Yep, that's me. And then they were like, here's a check. And he smoothed like, yeah. I mean, why yeah. not? He's Stick my picture it. on there. It's wow. like the Joan Cosimello uh, stamp of proof from Parks and Recs where, like, you have your book and then the sticker is bigger than the book. <laughs> like, that's what they did. And so people were like, oh, i got to get this new Charles Darrow game. Yeah. Which and he really has, makes sense. It's a, it's a marketing tool. Man. It's also um, moderately uh, crooked and corrupt. It is. And this is about the point that Elizabeth shows back up. Hey, guys. Remember when I tried to sell you a game and it was called the Landlord's Game and you guys were like, no, that sucks. Turns out his copyright's good, but my patent is a thing. Oh, cool. Uh, Would you take like 20 bucks and a bus ticket home? I want credit for the game. Yeah, we can do that. We'll give you credit for the game. So like they printed it on like the back in like white ink and they were like, yeah, 
Here's your credit and, and some money, like 200 bucks or something. I don't remember how much exactly. That That's a note I should have made that I didn't. In the future, we will try. They they, they bought it and they were like, well, we're going to make we're gonna make your game as a token. And she was super happy. You can buy finance, which was based on her game. And it was based on a different version, but she considered it hers. And so did a lot of other people. They also produced the Landlord's game, which was the one she was really happy about. And so she, you know, posed the box and do interviews and stuff. Yep, this lady did it. Now, they kept it. On the DL, they were like, no, don't don't go around telling everyone. We're trying to push the Charles Darrow guy out on people. So, you know, and they're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, we, we just, I mean, why not? She was getting her credit that she wanted. And they sold like a million copies of Monopoly. Yeah. So, you know, she was happy that her game was getting out there and that people were learning. I don't think she understood that people wasn't learning. They were just playing the game, game and having fun in the middle of the goddamn Great Depression. Because if you've ever read The Great Wrath... Uh, several times, Yeah, then you know it's not... Um, <clears throat> you say unfortunately. I like the book. The book was terrible, in my opinion. It, um, it was just about a terrible time, I think is what it is. Now, the finance game was actually based on another game by a guy called Dan Layman, which, of course, was based on Landlord's game. Yeah. And it didn't have a thing going for it, really. You know, it was yeah, it was just kind of it, it was a thing enough that what Parker Brothers ended up doing was buying all these goddamn patents and copyrights and everything they could get their hands onto. Yeah. Yo, uh we gonna get sued. Uh quickly too. Yeah, no, somebody was gonna litigate and they were like, no, no, no. And people would come up and they would people were realizing it. Parker Brothers totally bought into Darrow's lie where he's like, No, I'm the only one, sole proprietor and inventor. I don't know why he all of a sudden had a different accent like mean, the Wizard of Oz, but he did because he had all the money. So he got up. So, so money buys you accents? He got bougie. Oh, <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, that's a southern reference to bourgeoisie. And we still use that word today and we mispronounce it to show how smart we are. Indeed. So anyway, he, they, uh, people were playing the game. They, they bought Monopoly. Like mountains of Monopoly boards just everywhere. People would, wait a minute. I think I played this before. Right. And you know what Parker Brothers said? You've never played this before. This is a new, this is a new game. This is our game. Right. And then you know what they did? No, what they do? They went and found all the other games and they were like, who made this game? Yeah. Here's 20 bucks. Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> so, they, so they just, they paid these folks off. They bought, they keep... bought all the patent. They literally bought like all the patents and copyrights they could find that people had to, because this this is the middle of the Great Depression. You're doing this kind of business. Imagine what their brains must have been like. We were going to go bankrupt. Board games shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. And now we're sitting on piles and piles of cash. We have to protect this. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't some dead bodies in Mr. Monopoly's closet. Rich Uncle Pennybag just got, like, skeletons and, like, he can't shut the door. Which I thought that was interesting that his name, that the Monopoly man's name, or Mr. Monopoly's name... Uh, was was rich uncle penny bags penny bags penny bags. I mean, that, that kind of sounds. I don't want to say British, but it, it does sound like a like a British guy. Like you know, you would. Think, it sounds like a James Bond villain. It don't sound British. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I agree. Um, most of this history would have been lost because when they when Parker Brothers got the game and then they got all the rights and then especially after Elizabeth dies, they pretty much just push all of this under the rug. Sure. Well, and I mean, stick to this whole thing of like <clears throat> Charles Darrow created Monopoly. Was was an American man trying to survive in the Great Depression with his family and he came up with this game and it pulled him out and it made him a monopolist. Right. 
And it can make you want to kind of a thing. You know, like the whole game, the spirit of the game is the American dream, like you said earlier. And this dude is living proof of it. We're going to sell it with this man pulled himself up from the bootstraps in the middle of the goddamn Great Depression yeah. and made a millionaire out of himself on this board game. Which is the story that more Americans want to hear. You know, especially during the time. You want to hear that you can come up with, uh, you can be anything as long as you're you're driven, determined, and dedicated. Uh, the American dream is just that, or it's 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 just that a dream for those who are who are not willing to go out there and get it, but it's, it can be a reality for those who are. Right, so, and you could sit at home and pretend to do it, and you're like, I could be successful at business shit. I'm always win Monopoly. Right, and and that's also very strange how that concept cross applied to people's lives. Yeah, but I mean, in the middle of the Great Depression, you can it's it's a getaway. Like right, and so it sells. I understand, and then they're kind of stuck with it. And they, like I said, they try to sweep under as much as they can. Once they have the patents, once they have the copyrights, once the other people start dying off, and once they can just push whatever they want, they own it. It's theirs. You can't say Monopoly; it's trademarked. Guess what? You're telling a story about Monopoly we don't like. No one's taking that risk. Not now. Yeah, the Parker Brothers. Yeah, not now. The Parker Brothers. So what actually ends up happening is somebody goes sue me, and you know who that was. Ralph Anspach? Yeah. Okay. He made a game called Anti-Monopoly. Yeah, right. I do remember that. And uh, he was a professor. He went and he said, I'm making this game. It's all about how monopolies really suck. It's more in the vein of the original spirit of the first Landlord's game. Monopolies suck. I'm going to make an anti-monopoly game. And he did. Right. And you know what happened? No, what happened? He got sued. That's why it's the part where he says, so sue me. So sue me in. Yeah. And he actually got sued. He did. <clears throat> and he did not back down from the uh, from the task. He went to court and he, he followed it up for years. I think it was like almost a decade. And he was just like, nope. And it's not a thing. And it's an educational tool and all this and that. And then he got kind of uh, also into the history of it. And he was like, you know what? You don't own Monopoly. And all this history came out because this court case was huge. It was huge because it affected not only Parker Brothers and Monopoly. But all these other industries we're looking at going, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't have generic stuff. Names being called generic. We can't allow people to start making their own versions of our stuff. Right. I mean, so they had a court case. <clears throat> and in the end, what ended up happening was he won. He was allowed to continue making Anti-Monopoly. And in fact, some other companies even published a few copies of it. But then there was a change to trademark law. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't uh, about that. But he was like the only person that was exempt. Like anti-monopoly was the only thing that was exempt. Yeah. When they passed this law, they were like, uh, there's a clause in here that says he can keep doing his shit. But anyone else has got an idea. Can't do it. Don't 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 even think about it. It was 1984, actually. So that, that's not that long ago. It's really not. Yeah, no, it's really not. So right now, Monopoly's actually protected by trademark. Trademark. And that's on all the stuff that we love and have. So that's pretty much the end of the history of Monopoly. Because after that, it gets locked down. It becomes the modern game. It's already 1984. They've sold the story. Uh, but then the story comes to light because of this, the real history. Uh, do you have any interesting things to add to the to history of Monopoly? Well, you know, I, I, I thought that the Braille version of Monopoly came out uh, earlier than 1973. But uh, 1973 was also the first year or the year that the first world championships for Monopoly were held. And that's crazy. That that many years would go by. Yeah, and and then now we're just you know we're just now automatically in seventy three starting this these championships. But I mean, I guess really, did you have time and money to devote to it during uh, earlier times? I mean, probably not. 
Yeah, that's really <clears throat> it's really weird that they, that, that you wouldn't have that. Uh, the official setting in the U.S. is Atlantic City. Like it's it's now established. Like it used to jump around. Like I said. But then after it got published, like, they locked it down. They were like, we got to trademark everything. So Atlantic City, even the misspelling of Marvin's Gardens. What was incredibly uh, racist and interesting is that the Orange Properties, I think, which is like Baltimore and stuff. Baltic Avenue. Baltic, yeah. yes. Um, those were the properties that had the lowest value. You know, they, they that was the uh, colored part of town. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so I guess they reflected that. I'm sure that was the truth back in the day, but... Which is kind of weird, little fact to know that. Well, I mean, we did, in a sense, come from the time that we started first started putting fixed prices on the properties. That's right. So, I mean, it did change. In fact, um, it, it, yeah, definitely changed. And that's a good point because, you know, in the original, like, 1924 version, I say original, but not, the streets were based on Chicago in a lot of versions. Right. I did because that was a more popular area, I guess, for the game at the time. Mm-hmm. And in other countries, it's set in other places. Like, the British version isn't... Uh, Atlantic City, it's London. Yeah, which makes sense because you don't want to play, you want a game that's, that's and, and this game was supposed to be a representation of the people, you know, so the people who were playing the game would want to make it more their game by the city representing their major city. Yeah. You, and now you learned, you said that you've learned a lot of the rules from playing the electronic version because it forces you to play under the rules of the game. It does force you to play under the rules of the game. Uh, I like the electronic version. You can't, you can't, um, you can't come up with house rules on the electronic version. Um, <clears throat> you're stuck playing by the actual game rules or the new, the uh, the monopoly rules as we know them, or as we've ignored them for years, but are forced to know them. And there's even mobile monopoly and stuff like uh, version. I don't know, I've never played it, but you know what's crazy is, you know, there was a monopoly TV show. I did know that. Really? Yeah, I I never heard of it. Never heard of it. It came out in what, like 1990? Yeah, sounds about right. Merv Griffin. Merv Griffin. You know, everyone knows Merv Griffin. Merv Griffin is the Parker Brothers of game shows on TV. Yeah, Merv Griffin came up with a lot of the shows that are still on TV. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He is he is the Parker Brothers of TV game of shows. TV game shows, shows, yeah. It's a Merv Griffin production. You know, it's quality. And Nazis hated Monopoly. Okay, why? They, they thought it was too Jewy. Is that a thing? I I guess it is in uh, Nazi Germany. Obviously, oh, being too okay. Jewy was a thing in uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, okay, fair, so, fair point. No, so no. they they actually like banned it. No, I mean my my concept is is like is that a thing? Like, how can a board game? Uh, I think it has to do with okay. So to truly answer your question, I think it has to do with the stereotypes they had of the Jewish people. Okay, and so they saw it. They saw them and they said, oh, the Jews are bad because of the ABC. And this game has ABC. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know what their actual reasoning was. I'm not a Nazi, so. Thank you for I clarifying. Can't, I, can't, I can't tell you. I'm sorry. But I think that was it. And they were like, no, this game is going to. And the fact that it also showed that, like, maybe some of the stuff that they were pushing was bad. Like, some of their ideas were the same ones. Like, in America, we allow the game to be processed, even though it kind of criticizes our actual economic system. And at the time, it definitely criticized, like, Andrew Carnegie and robber barons and things like this and land barons. That's what it was all about. Yeah. So then you take that and you think that you're going to apply it in another country, okay? But what if they get offended? And what if the person getting offended is Hitler? 
Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think point. that's 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 the actual reason. Yeah. But then they blame it on the Jews because in Nazi Germany, if you blame things on Jews, that's accepted. And that, that flew. So they, they destroyed Monopoly. But strangely enough, Monopoly did find its way into World War II more than once. Did you know that? I did not. Oh, you're gonna love this. This is some this is some Ian Fleming 007 shit. Okay. So Parker Brothers licensed the game to England. And England was contacted uh, by, they have POWs, you know. So what would happen is that Waddington, who was making the game for the, like, the, the, the intelligence service, they made games that had like uh, handkerchiefs and board pieces and all these things in there. And in the Monopoly money, now this is all rumor, but, you know, I guess it's classified, so who knows? Or maybe it's true, maybe it's not, it's anecdotal. But they made uh, maps and stuff in silk pieces. So, like, the board game was a, a silk board game so you could carry it easy, like a travel edition. You carry all the pieces and then make, like, a little hobo bundle. Oh, really? Well, no, but here's <clears throat> the thing. So, on the on the map, on the, on the board would be a map that was produced. And then in the Monopoly money would be hidden real money. Or, like, oh. uh, a blood chip. Like, all these kind of things. Like, they would put them in there. And so, they would sneak, like, little helpful tools into the board game, supposedly. And then when they were delivered as care packages or airdropped or whatever, they're just Monopoly. We're just playing Monopoly. But in fact, you're like plotting your escape and figuring out where you are and getting messages that are hidden in there. And then they would escape. I don't know if anyone ever escaped thanks to Monopoly, but uh, that's a movie I would watch. I would definitely watch that movie too. So I told you that Parker Brothers wasn't sure about Dara. Right. I'm like, this guy's kind of iffy. Um, they came up with a clone of Monopoly, like I said. And it was called Fortune. Oh. And they were like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Uh, maybe we should do it now. So in like 1935, when they when they met him and they were like, this game, I think we, it's not maybe not going to work, but maybe it will. Let's go ahead and make our own version. We'll sell it. So they did. And in 1935, the year that they, the, the only year that they really pushed both of, or both of them were pushed separately, yeah. not by the same entity. It outsold Monopoly. So I wonder, it makes you wonder why they didn't keep it. Well, you know what? They they did. You can you can find Fortune. The game of Fortune exists. Yeah, it's just not pushed because Monopoly sold, so it's one of those. But it was really a safety net so that they could do it. Um, now there's an urban legend also that goes around that Dara went to Parker Brothers and was like, "This is my game. See, buy it." And they were like, "No, there's 52 errors with this game." And that's a myth, as far as I can tell. There was not. That's a commonly repeated. I think it was even on the website. Of Monopoly at one point, that there were 52 errors, and he went back and he put his nose to the grindstone and fixed all of them. Yeah, but that makes sense to to think that that's not a reality. I mean, but it does aid to the story of the the, the plight of the human man. You know, you you bring you have this this goal, this this golden mind, this vision that you're bringing to this company to sell, and they say, no, it's not quite there yet. It's not a no. It's a not right now. Go back and work on it. I think it's more believable once you actually know the history because I that's why I had to verify that I could not find any hard source of it was because look how many times they rejected I mean Elizabeth Maggie right. was rejected a few good times by not just Parker Brothers. But that's true. And then he went to Milton Bradley and obviously there wasn't a bidding war there. So it's kind of like this game was not really a sold deal. I mean, it lingered around for a good twenty five years in a developmental state of being publishable. That people were like, pass, pass, pass. So so did you know there was a derivative no longer in print called Ghettoopoly? I 
No. <laughs> what, I, what the hell is Ghettoopoly? I had the same thought process in my mind. Like, why would this even be a thing? Uh, they had pimps, hoes, crack houses, <laughs> projects, and liquor stores. And liquor, I mean, and liquor stores. Uh, thing, I mean, do I'm not too- go to check cash and do not collect two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's horrible. Uh, like it sounds horrible because it's got the worst. You said pimps and hoes. I gotta be honest. I play it because it also sounds kind of interesting. It's uh, it, the only reason it sounds interesting is because I want I want to see how it works. Like you got value value tax, like you know. Like you pull a chance card. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious. Like that. Like what are the? I want to know what the. That's what I want. What are the chance in the community chess ca- cards? Like step on a hi- hypodermic needle, lose three turns because you passed. <laughs> Get robbed by a crackhead. Oh man, you know I kind of want to find this game. I know it's no longer in print, but I wonder but, how much. How much do you think it goes for? It's either got to be really cheap or incredibly expensive. You know, I'm gonna lean on the side of uh, incredibly expensive. It sounds horrible. Like I want to know what the tokens are. You know, I think we need to we need to have an episode on that. We need to <laughs> we need to call it Monopoly Revisited. <laughs> it's all about playing. Get, it's going to be a live stream of us just playing Ghettoopoly. I'm with that. We want to start a Kickstarter to raise five thousand dollars to play a game about pimps and hoes. I want to know what the game pieces are now. You know, I think that's in horribly. We got a bottle of lotion just like moving around. I know it sounds I mean, bad, it sounds... and I feel race is coming up with the ideas. But now, I, because I want to know. I mean, I uh, that's like... what that's what that's what horrible things do to you. They make you want to know. I, well, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make a nice one. How about this? There was uh, no monopoly apparently in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So when the wall fell. Mm-hmm. You know what the first country to get Monopoly was? No. Hungary. Huh. They got it in 1992. At least that's what I, that's what I read. Yeah. It was 1992. Hungary got Monopoly. Official Monopoly. I'm sure people were making them. Anyway. Now, you said you are Mr. Monopoly. I, I did say that. Now, do you, what do you know about the real Mr. Monopoly? Because you said you found it interesting that his name was uh, Pennybags. Uh, so, I feel like you, you looked a little bit into this more than <clears throat> maybe most. So, Mr. Monopoly was... Clearly, originally called uh, Rich Uncle Pennybags. Milburn Pennybags, according to the uh, 1988 Monopoly companion. And he <laughs> he first appeared in 1936 on the Chance, and, uh, the Chance and Community Chess Cards. And according to other sources that I found, he and his wife, named Madge, had a niece, Sandy, and two nephews, Andy and Randy. And so the interesting thing about that is... it. Anytime I read that story, and even when I was reading it earlier, all I could think of was Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and also Scrooge McDuck. I mean, it just it just kind of seemed like it went together. But Scrooge McDuck wasn't married, right? No, he was not married. Was he ever married? I don't think he ever was. This this episode is going to be titled Monopoly and DuckTales. <laughs> and DuckTales, or, or Monopoly, Monopoly DuckTales. Yeah, whenever. So anyway, we've come to the end of the episode, and we'd like to thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, We are going to go ahead and tease our next episode because you know what? That's what you got to do when you have a podcast. Correct. It'll be coming in two weeks and is going to be about Frank Nash. Frank Nash. And the Kansas City Massacre. Gangsters. Gangsters. So that will be here. It'll be in two weeks. And then we'll have a show that follows it every month after that is about gangsters throughout the year. And um, we'll have a show after this every month. That follows just uh, a random topic, you know whatever I mean? we pick, right? That we pull out of a hat, and it'll be more of this, a physical uh, hat, maybe, maybe a little more structured, maybe not. I'm having fun like this, so uh, 
We'll see what you guys say, but uh, probably more of the same. So now that we're at the end, I just want to run down a few of the sources that we used so you guys can go look for more information yourselves if you want. We, of course, used Wikipedia to look up information about Parker Brothers, uh, Elizabeth Maggie, Charles Darrow, the history of the board game Monopoly, Rich Uncle Pennybags, Monopoly the Game Show, and then we also used Monopoly game history, Landlord's game history articles from... Uh, Thomas Forsyth, which you can find at landlordsgame.info. A comprehensive history of Monopoly, World of Monopoly 2006. We also looked, which we got that from worldofmonopoly.com. Toasty Productions, LLC, Under the Boardwalk, The Monopoly Story, www.monopolydocumentary.com. Mary Pylon, Monopoly's Inventor, The Progressive, Who Didn't Pass Go, The New York Times, yeah, we also got some from web archives from uh, Hasbro. Another Mary Pylon source was how to uh, how a fight over a board game monopolized an economist's life from the Wall Street Journal. Monopoly goes corporate, also by Mary Pylon from the New York Times from 2013. Do not pass go. The real story behind Monopoly. PW talks. Uh, Monopoly is theft. Harper's October 19, 2012. History detectives. Early Monopoly. PBS, June 28, 2004. You can find that on www.pbs.org. Then there's also uh, Talks at Google, another Mary Pylon, and that's called The Monopolist, Obsession, Fury, and the Scandal Behind the World's Favorite Board Game. And that's on YouTube. Um, and then there's Game Show, The Hidden Genius of Monopoly's Rules. That's on YouTube from PBS. You can find it there. So that's all the sources that we used uh, mainly for this. There were a bunch of smaller ones and some uh, general discussion and videos that we watched, but those were the main ones. If we corroborated it, we did not list a secondary source because this was a primary. Uh, again, if we are wrong or in error about anything, you're right. We're not historians, guys. That's the whole point. We're just guys trying to find out more and have a little fun doing it because pop history and everyday history is something we should all know. We'll talk to you soon. Let's, let's be honest. I think if I was that rich, I would just send pigeons to everyone. Like, I wouldn't text. Not? You would just find a messenger pigeon would just come up. <laughs> Isn't that the sound of pigeons make? <laughs> um, uh, no. I think that's an African swallow. That used to be my, my problem with ducktails. <laughs> Do you watch me? I'm like, that duck did. Mm, he did. And then he comes up spitting out gold. I'm like, that's not that's not practical. I mean, I don't know. He has a bill. He can hold him in the bill. Like, that's holding him in your mouth. He has a much bigger mouth. So it's possible. The screws from the duck could hold gold coins. And I think it's less likely that you dive into a pit of gold and don't become like bloody gold. 100% agreement on that one. Like, you just, you open casket. People just <laughs> taking doubloons out of your skull.